Well, hello there, and welcome to my almost midlife crisis. I'm your host, Jennifer Mathis. So this podcast is about that time in your life when you're ready for a change and you're ready to just change things up. Some call it a midlife crisis. I call it an opportunity. So in today's episode, I am joined by Michael Ian Cedar, um, who is an executive and leadership coach, skilled facilitator, and keynote speaker with 20 years of experience helping clients bring their professional and personal lives into alignment. So welcome, Mike. Hi, welcome. Uh, well, well, welcome for you too. We can welcome each other. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having me, Jennifer. Of course. So you help find, uh, you help others find their life's purpose and um, and learn to just live it fully, which sounds amazing. But let's start with you and your background. So yeah. did you always know that this was going to be your journey? And if not, like, how did you get here? So I knew my, I, I knew what my North star was from a very young age, how, what I'd be doing, uh, never, I, that I didn't know. And, and, um, you know, talking about like this idea of midlife and going, ha, reassessing, right. You don't know what's going to get you where you are. And right. But there's, then there's idea of what got me here is not what's going to get me to the next place. Right. And, and right. Humans, we're just nature, right. We're just part of nature. And if we don't adapt with what is being introduced to us, um, there's a very strong chance if we're not adapting with the way we evolve and the way we learn about new things that w- that are appealing to us. And as we start to learn more about what's valuable to me, uh, what are my values, what do I deserve in my life, what don't I deserve in my life, if we don't actually adapt as we start to grow with that, um, we're going to have incongruence in our life, right? And incongruence and the feeling of incongruency in life is exhausting, which is where this idea of midlife, by the way, comes from midlife crisis, excuse me, comes from, I'm with you. I'm like, wow. I'm so I'm 43. I'm like, if this is my midlife crisis, bring it on. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not bad. (laughs) It ain't, this ain't that. This is not only not bad, this is great. So you asked me about the journey. So around the age of eight years old, I can remember, um, I was very interested and passionate about people doing things that were meaningful to them. The, the, the people that my friends around me um, did things that really inspired them. And right, the word inspiration it comes from the uh, Latin root of inspire, which means to uh, breathe into. And um, and I even remember one day, one of my, si- my, my sisters significantly younger than me, and I was hanging out with one of, uh, at the house of one of her friends. I just went with my sister to her friend's house and I was talking to the father and the father, so I was probably 13 at the time, right? And my father, her father, her friend's father was talking about, he studied the stingrays uh, the spines of stingrays. And I could not care less about those spines of stingrays like intrinsically in my life. But I was like, wow, I could talk to him all day. And another one of our friends, the father uh, studied mushrooms for a living and he was very passionate about mushrooms. And I was again, 13 ish. And, and so I just was like, wow, that's, and I could sit and talk. And I was very in tune with people that were in tune with things that were important to them. And so I, I just knew, even though I might not have had the words for it. And I, th- and by the way, I just want to say this because I, I've never said this out loud. I think, and um, it goes with what we're talking about. I think a lot of people, the frustration is, well, I know it, but I don't have the words for it, you know. <laughs> and so without the words, I don't know what the symbol is. I don't know what the symbol is. I don't know which direction to go. I don't know how to ask for it. And then that's a whole other conversation. So, um, you know, I started. Um, my career professionally in entertainment. Um, I, I, I 
both produced, co-produced, company managed uh, uh, arena tours, uh, Broadway bus and truck tours. Um, and there was parts of it that I loved and parts of it that were utter, utter drudgery to me. Um, and what I realized as I went along, um, which was very in line with the way I was as a child, as a teenager, and was I just really loved helping people do things they loved. And the parts of the jobs I loved was helping other people do the parts of the jobs they loved. And that's how I ended up evolving into becoming um, a leadership coach and a life coach and an executive coach. And some people now say a gratitude coach, whatever that means. And um, so that's my journey. And that's what brings me here. And I'm very fortunate that I can truly say, though, there's a lot of days in my life I did not enjoy uh, what I was doing, both personally and professionally. I, I can truly say, and I'm this, if you know, I'm very proud that here I am at what we call midlife. Yeah. Um, that I've always been congruent with what was important to me, and when I was not congruent with it, I could I could sense something was wrong and pivot or make changes or go to therapy or whatever to help find those things out. So mm -hmm. that's that's how I got here, and that's the past, and now we're in the present, and we get now to together to move in the future. Exactly. So you know, we talk about um, you know you talk about purpose a lot, and. And I know that some people struggle to find their own purpose or to your point that you just mentioned, clearly articulate their life's purpose, right? So what advice yeah. would you have for somebody that's really looking to create their purpose? And for those that believe maybe they've already defined their purpose, can someone's purpose change? So, I don't know if there's enough time on your podcast alone mm -hmm. to have that discussion. So I'm going to reverse engineer the question. I know you're asking me, can someone's life purpose change? I'll give you my short answer. I believe the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Life's purpose doesn't change. And we could go into all those reasons either now or another time, but let's just go with this idea of a life's purpose doesn't change. Mm -hmm. However, the vehicles in which we deliver ourselves does change. I believe personnel, I, I'm a big fan of Benjamin Hardy, and I'm also a big fan of the MBTI. I'm a certified facilitator of the MBTI. So he wrote a book called Personality Isn't Permanent. And I was like, I want to read that because it was anti-MBTI. It was anti, it was against the personality profile assessments. And I was like, and I was super open-minded. I said, because I believe so much in, in, in well-facilitated personality assessments. I'm really curious to hear someone I respect's take who's not for it. And I agree with everything he says in the book, as a matter of fact, right? And I was like, this is great. Now I can even facilitate better because he's giving me a point of view. He's, he's able to articulate a point of view. And so I agree with him that personality is not permanent. I'm dyslexic. I'm bipolar. I'm, uh, I'm right. Things that people say, well, I'm, that's just the way I am. Well, I'm lazy. Well, I can't organize. Those are labels we put on ourselves. And I am totally on the train of like, we can, um, if we choose to be something or do something bigger than where we currently are, it requires us to shift our uh, the way we are. So I don't believe personality is permanent, but I do believe purpose is permanent. And here's what I mean by that, Jennifer, and please stop me if I'm not making any sense on this. Um, what we do is not our purpose. Mm -hmm. Your purpose on life is not to have a podcast. My right. purpose in life is not to coach people. My purpose in life was not to be uh, 
a, a company manager for bus and truck Broadway shows, right? And I know you were in advertising and marketing, I believe, before, right? Mm-hmm. That's not your purpose. Still, Steve, don't that, scare my company. Oh, God, you, so you still <laughs> do that, right? But that's not your purpose. Right. These are all ways you deliver your purpose if you're living incongruent with your value system. So, right, even Steve Jobs, when he made the iPhone, his purpose on the world was not to make iPhones. In fact, he was super clear on what his purpose is. I want to level the playing field and uh, and 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 make and make. I want to level the playing field and create a status quo that everyone has access to high-powered um, opportunities to create, to, to innovate. Mm-hmm. That a Fortune 500 and a newly formed uh, a company or a podcaster or a, a, an independent practicing coaching practice um, have all the same tools. Right. Right. My purpose, and I'm going to answer the question: How does one? What's the direction for purposes? My purpose is at least. And here's what I will say, Jennifer. My purpose, I, I, I find to be to free people, free people from all different things. I want free people to be themselves. Now, over my lifetime, I've used different words to describe my purpose and where I am right now. I go, freedom is it? Words are just symbols that like that, you know, I, I, for those of you listening as audio, I also see Jennifer right now in, in a Zoom thing, and she's got a beautiful painting from Dubai in the background. That means, what does it mean again? Freedom. Freedom, as a matter of fact. How funny is that? That brings us together, right? Uh, we go, oh, life's purpose, doing its thing <laughs> once again, bringing me to someone who has this beautiful painting. She traveled from Dubai to here. So, right. Um, but I could use all different words for that. Right. So here. Words change, but the words it's change. deep down purpose, like really is right. what drives you. Yeah. And, and look, we could say, so people, ah, life's purpose, that's mojo, you know, purpose, you know, you're, everyone has a purpose on earth. I, I actually do believe that. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you think that is a divine thing handed down to you. I don't care if you think that that's something like Carl Jung would say, we're predisposed to it at birth. It was inside of our, D, our, our, our DNA strands. I don't care if you say it was established early on in life from the condition. It doesn't matter. But if we just take for a second and open our minds to curiosity that what if we do have a life's purpose? I think it's really easy to start spotting your life's purpose. So to answer the question is what you do is your job, your labels is not your life's purpose. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I, I work with a lot of, um, through the gratitude slam, a group I run uh, that is not in the corporate world. A lot of people say, my life's purpose is to be a mother. And no, it's not. Uh, being a mother is a vehicle. Uh, I'm My wife, Lauren, love her. Uh, she's not my life's purpose, but being a husband to her is a vehicle. I believe you're married, right? Right. Uh, so, I will be in two weeks. Oh, wait. Wonderful. <laughs> beautiful. So, right. So, but being a fiance right now, now I just will give away that we, that I pre-recorded this episode because I'm not. Oh, when you did two it. Weeks. So I just, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, but right. So as a, you know, you're like a way to deliver yourself and your purposes as, as a fiance or a daughter or a friend or a marketer, advertiser right. or a podcaster. Those are vehicle deliveries. And it's really our, our current structure here, at least in the United States, is you are your job, right? right. You, your purpose. God, is- I hope not. Oh, right. God. Like that can't be like, pff, shoot me. That cannot right. be purpose. I, right. <laughs> 
It, no, because that's not, but, but we're told, Hey, I want, this is so important to go into 250,000 to a million dollars in debt, just so that you could live your life's purpose, which is your job. That's not a life's purpose. Right. Our culture has us believing, Hey, by the age, I think the rudest thing our culture has done is at the age that we go, Hey, you're 17 years old. You should pick what you want to do for the rest of your life. That sounds like the yeah. meat and most cruel thing I think we can do in a free, free society. Yeah. Right. So well, any pressures for anything. Right. I mean, I know in one of my uh, previous episodes, it was called adulting. Mm-hmm. It was basically how, you know, you grow up and you need to be an adult, which means you need to get a stable career. You need to buy a house. You need to get married. You need to have kids. Yep. Um, and if you're not doing these things, um, then you're like lazy or you're being an adult child or, you know, you're just not doing, you're not checking the boxes. Uh, I'll share it. I'll, I'll share it. Oh, keep going. You had something else. Well, and, and yeah. And it's just not, it's, that's not living in a free society. That's not, no. like, you need to pick your own path. Um, and like those choices may not actually be your choices or appropriate for you. And that's why I say the structure doesn't sustain mm-hmm. and, and provide context for life's purpose. And everyone I don't want to say everyone that's very general, but most of the people that I work with, when I'm working with them, they go, whether at the corporate level or the, the, the entry level, go, why is this not these themes? Why are these themes not taught in elementary school? Right. And, and, and it's a, that's a systemic problem in our, in our, in our culture. And imagine how much health would go up and imagine how many better relationships would go up and how much inner peace there would be if we were all sort of always sort of guiding with a GPS, what is important to me? What is meaningful to me? What is my life's purpose? That's why use any words you want. We're saying life's purpose here because right, we are, the audience is going to be, I'd imagine people Mm -hmm. coming up to their midlife or in their midlife. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's very important to recognize what is the what are the most important values in my life. So, here's how I think it can be done to start to quantify or at least get closer to those words. One is recognize what you do is not who you are and nor is that your purpose in the world. I could deliver my life's purpose as a server at a restaurant, as a coach. I could deliver it as a speaker. I could deliver it as a teacher. I could deliver it as as a uh, as mm-hmm. as a, a civil servant, uh, service oriented person, collecting trash or creating water for my community, whatever I can do it in anything, as long as the environment allows me to exercise freedom mm-hmm. and choices. The next thing is to recognize um, what are the things, what are your values, just what's valuable to you, right. like what, like for, like for, if I were to ask you, what's what's a value to you, I, like for me, I, I like. Uh, Openness, honesty, vulnerability, those are things of value to me. Uh, clarity, um, right? So what are some things that are super of value to you? Yeah, so I would say like uh, definitely honesty, equality, um, and empathy. And empathy. Yeah, empathy, big one for me. Mm. Um, and so one of those values or two of those values or more or all of those values are non-negotiables. Like a non-negotiable to me is uh, truth. I'm lied to. It's done. There's yeah. no further uh. conversation. An apology, as, as an ex-girlfriend had once said to me, Michael, I'm sorry, is uh, a promise you can't keep, right? Mm-hmm. And so truth is so important to me that if I'm lied to, it's a non-negotiable. 
Right. It's over, whatever the relationship is, it's over. Right. My mom always said, like, all growing up, she was like, I don't care if I don't want to hear it. She's like, just don't lie to me. Like, like, you can, that's like the one thing. She's like, if you lie to me, you're going to be in much worse trouble than if you just told me the truth. (laughs) Perfect example. Right. So that, but not, I had worked for someone actually just up the street over there one time, and this is a long, long time ago, who valued deceit. This was a very high level corporate individual with touching products that I promise you, you've seen, watched, used, bought intellectual property based off of it. And one, and, and one day the staff direct report to me, lied to me and, 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 and actually used funds for something. And I went to my, and this was super early in my career. And I went to the uh, person that was in charge and I told him and he goes, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, good thing we've got him on our team. Right. I was like, what do you mean? You're like, no. like, <laughs> like we should <laughs> fire this person right now. Um, and he's like, Yeah, wow. Okay, well, there he does. There he's just doing his job. And I'm like, what? And this was my first one of my first introductions to incongruence. And I at night would go home from that job, literally sweating through the bed sheets. And that is a perfect right because it was so incongruent with who I was, my body was creating cortisol so much that at night, my, my bed sheets would literally be soaking wet. Right. And that's when we stay in, that's when I believe we hit midlife crisis is when we're living incongruent lives, all of a sudden we're at 40 and we're like, this can't be it. Um, you know, we realize we're like, I don't have all the time in the world anymore. Um, yeah, there's something and now it's time to like, stop effing around and like, let's actually do stuff that makes us happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot. I think this is very apropos to what we're talking about. I heard Deepak Chopra talk about it. And I'm also very large into um, Taoist tea culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I just recently heard it mentioned there, too, that most major Eastern uh, or original um, uh, cultures have a form of this. Life is broken into four phases. The first is is the first, if we want to simplify and deep, I heard Deepak talking about this with Michael Gervais once. Um, the first is uh, learning. The mm-hmm. second, that's the first phase, the first quarter of life. The second quarter is about building riches and fame, right? The third is about um, giving back. And the fourth is about preparing for death. And uh, multiple cultures have different ways of saying it, but it's always broken into the right. four sections. And so right in midlife, there is a curve that our psychology goes through, that mm-hmm. our biology goes through that goes, this can't be it. So here we are at 40, we're going to soon be entering what would be considered the giving back phase. And how the hell can I give back? Or how the heck can I give back if I am not receiving or giving anything I want now? Like how, who am I if I want, right? And so then this idea of legacy comes about. So going back to like values that are important to you, one non-negotiable for me is, is, is truth. But I think bigger for me is I remember from an early age going, if you take away my creative willpower, I'm okay to die. Yeah. If you tell me I have to think a certain way, I'm okay with death. Like I remember having that thought in an early age and it still stands to now. Mm-hmm. So freedom was more this idea of create willpower and creative freedom and personal freedom and pursuing a life that's my choice is freedom. The organization that I give my money to charity is She's the First. It's an organization that gives 
girls in first world countries, the first in their lineage ever in their entire ancestry to be the first to go to a high school level school. And mm-hmm. so that's what I donate to because I'm like, wow, here's a sector of people, third world country females who are often denied something. Right. So here's, and I never thought about why I give the money to them until recently where I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? That actually does align with the purpose of creating independence and freedom. Mm-hmm. So my challenge for everyone that's listening is what are the values that are non-negotiables for you? And then go and then start asking the question. So what's one of the, it's a non-negotiable value to you. Like it is hands down. You can't cross this line. Mine would be uh, probably the equality. Equality. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. That one, that one also, it's interesting because I would say, um, yeah, it's probably what drives me to, I don't really talk about politics on the show, but it's what drives me to what I would say is a, is a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's what really, I think after almost 40 years is finally getting me to actually get married because I oh, have a partner that, um, we are equals. Yeah. So that was always really important to me. And it was something that I had a hard time finding yeah. earlier. Um, but yeah, I think the older I get, the more important too that 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 is. And to your point, I find myself giving back to things like uh, she runs, things like you know that are things that help women. Uh, you know, I took a bus to the women's march, you know, by myself to DC when it happened, like because I, um, you know, want to make sure that there's that equality. Right. There and not equality of options. And if you keep digging down, right, and you do an exercise, this is an exercise I love. So here I'll leave with one yeah. exercise here. An exercise I love is um uh is is why is it important. So it would look like this. And hey, we could do it in real time right here with yeah. you. So if we go, my I value a non if I were to if you were to write down. My non-negotiable in life is equality. Mm-hmm. Boom. The next question is, why is equality important to me? So answer that question right now. Um, yeah, it's important to me because I believe that every human has should be treated the same. Great. And now the next question is, why should every human be treated the same? Answer the question. Because I don't think, I think every human has the ability to bring something special to the table. And I believe in the value of different perspectives. Um, And why why does everyone being able to bring their different perspectives to the table important? um, I think it's because that's what makes us better individually and as a whole in society. Mm -hmm. And why should we as individuals and as a society be better? Um. Because there's a, there's a, because we get in our own way. Mm -hmm. And why would you like to get people out of their own way? And we're going to start seeing some redundancies here, but why would you like to get, see people get out of their own way? Um, Really just because I I think right now we just, we're too self-centered in our beliefs and actions and it's hurting, you know, there's just too much disparity. Right. And so we keep asking these questions. We're going to start seeing themes. So I'm starting to hear Mm -hmm. themes such as harmony, Mm -hmm. 
right? You didn't use the word harmony, but I'm actually listening to what you're saying is you're saying, oh, I think we're connected too much to the ego and things like this, right? Okay, uh, back to nature, uh, back to self. We have this beauty inside of us. So, right, you're, you're right. And we could keep digging and go, what are some words that can describe what I'm trying to do here? Mm-hmm. So, oh, my purpose is, is to unleash beauty. My purpose is to create internal p- tranquil peace, mm-hmm. uh, right? My, I don't know what it is, but you right. can play with it. But again, you have the word freedom behind you. I think there's something, yeah. to that, you know, <laughs> so, 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 right. It will never get the exact word as the Buddhists would say, it's not our job to figure out our life's purpose. It's just our job to point to it, you know, and it's right. just a point to lead it. So I think people spend a lot of time and money trying to figure out their job and vocation when you just need to figure out what's important to me and then go, what vehicles would I like to do this in? You know? So I think that's super important. And I I would like to see it start earlier, but we can start now with us here and for the listeners. So my challenge to you is go, what's really important to you? Why is that important? Why is that important? And then write that answer down and just keep layering down until you start finding the themes and the threads and go, what are words to describe what I'm saying here? Mm -hmm. Air within lives, a life's purpose. And that I believe and and young has would believe that that purpose has been there from the very beginning. Who you are and your personality is fluid. That does change. But I do believe that our life's purpose, what we've always wanted to bring to the world, started at a very early age, if not predisposed to it. Yeah, I would agree. And I know one of the things, and you mentioned it earlier, that um, you practice a lot of and you help people practice is gratitude. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's something you start hearing more and more about that, the, like the last couple of years, especially. And I think, I think this last year, 2020 was a massive gratitude wake up huh? all right. When you kind of yeah. strip everything else away, and then you really have to just to stay sane. You really have to think about what am I, what am I actually grateful for? Um, huh? and, uh, you know, you have the gratitude slam. Um, so why don't you kind of share with the listeners, what, what is the gratitude slam? Um, and why do you think that it's so important? Yeah. So, Hey, thank you for giving an opportunity because it's my way of, of being able to provide freedom for people, um, in a safe space. So on Facebook, uh, there's a group called the Gratitude Slam. Uh, you have to join it, right? It, it, and um, it's also, I'm a member now. So you're a member now. So you join <laughs> it. So you have to join it. But yeah, anyone has to join if they want to be part of it. It's it's a private group. Um, and so it's interesting that you're talking about gratitude. It did come up a lot. And in fact, I don't think I have the book here. Yeah. My buddy, Chris Palamore, wrote a book called Dear Gratitude. And then during the pandemic at the end, at the beginning, in January, he really rushed the book and made it work. He did something called uh, Dear Gratitude 2020. And it's an entire book. It's really thick, too. It's a few hundred pages of people sharing gratitude for 2020 for what it did bring, because it's really easy as, so I'm going to give you insight on why I created the gratitude slam. So the gratitude slam was created for, that's a whole nother story within itself, but it's really easy for our brains, our egos to focus on what we don't have. Right. Cause that's how we got this far. We got this far because our brains didn't go, what do I have? Let me squirrel away all my food so I can survive the winter. So we are predisposed to a negative biased mindset typically. Right. And when we focus on what we don't have, I don't have enough money. It's too hot outside. I don't have the, the right shoes. I don't have the best clothing. I don't have the right partner. And by the way, I just want to say this. Yeah. I I'm a big fan of your partner is not an extension of you. Your partner is an enhancement of you. Mm-hmm. Right. For you, sure. 
Partners need to be inter independent, creating an interdependence. In my wedding, uh, when people get, walked in, the my wedding first off was not a normal wedding. But when people walked in, it was in a rock club, and on all of the screens, it said "You enhance me." So as people came in, they recognized they the guests enhance us, our parents enhance us. My partner Lauren mm-hmm. enhanced me. I am not Lauren. Lauren is not me, though we are very tightly connected, and our minds are super close. I am not Lauren. She's not me. One of the sexiest part about her is she's got her own freaking life. I'll be like, well, yeah. oh, go out tonight. Yeah, that's I've really important to us too. Yeah. So right. Your thing. And there's nothing more annoying when someone's like, oh, he's into cycling. Well, you should do cycling. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh. I'm like, yeah. Why? I don't want to. <laughs> I have no desire whatsoever to watch The Bachelor uh, once once a week. She does. Fair. She has no desire to meditate an hour every day. Right. Yeah. But we both respect that. But it's okay. Yeah. Right? So anyways, the gratitude slam, a lot of people think gratitude is this, oh, I'm, so gratitude is a, a abundance focus while, while we're programmed to be lack focused, right? And when you wake up in the morning, you go, oh, I don't have enough money. Your brain's going to go, oh, you want to keep focusing on everything we don't have? No problem. I can do that for you. And your brain just perpetuates that. Gratitude is, well, what do I have? Well, I'm grateful for this opportunity to meet with another like-minded person right now. And my brain starts going, oh, you want to keep finding like-minded people? You want to keep finding things that we do have? Oh, no problem. I'll, t- I'll point out all the things you do have versus you don't have. So that just, right. And then there's science behind the neuroplasticity and everything that it does to the brain. But the one thing that there, I think there's a misunderstanding around is this idea that gratitude is a false sense of happiness. Gratitude has nothing to do directly with happiness. I do find that people that have a gratitude practice seem to be experiencing high levels of happiness, but those individuals, including my wife, uh, Lauren, she is probably naturally the happiest person I know. But when girl is angry, she feels that anger deeply, right? So right. happy people don't not feel the low notes. They actually are feeling the happiness because they're willing to deep dive into the low notes, which allows them to, and we can talk about the science of that in another episode, swing right back into the happiness. Whoever said happiness is a choice was a very mean person, right? There's that Instagram badge, just happiness is a choice. Oh, you go tell that to someone who yeah. lost partners. Like you should be happy right now. It yeah. doesn't work like that. Happiness is a byproduct, but it is not a choice. We mm-hmm. don't choose our emotions. Our emotions are byproducts of what is what, the way we're yeah. receiving the world right now. And I do not want to relinquish my ability to grieve if someone close to me dies. I'm okay feeling sad, but I can feel sadness and practice gratitude simultaneously. I can't, I don't think I can feel sadness and feel gratitude at the same time. So I'm not, gratitude slam is not about feeling gratitude. It's about practicing gratitude, which is training the mind to spot. What do I have right now? Right. That's what gratitude, optimism, people like, well, that's just false. No, if I'm broke and I have a rent to pay, I have to go, what's the best way I could pay the rent right now? Hey, I've got a house. That's good. Hey, I've got some uh, uh, savings or I've got some friends I can ask for help. Okay. Right. So now my mind is focused towards how can I solve this Mm -hmm. instead of all proving to myself all the reasons I can't. So the gratitude slam is a group where we get to challenge our everyday thoughts and ask people, what are you grateful for to just build those muscles? But we also ask questions like, what's missing right now? What do you need right now? Not what, not what do you need, not what want right now? If you had an extra hour, 
that you could do anything with, what you would you do with it? Right. right. And then we start digging in. It's my opportunity to coach because I co- coach at the corporate level and not everyone, first off, there's only one of me and I, not everyone would is yet ready to depart with that much cash right now uh, that, that the corporation would spend. So um, it's my opportunity to be able to do it. Uh, that costs people nothing. You know? Yeah. That's the yeah. And it's great. And I will say um, I've gone on there, you know, a couple of times so far, I just joined this week, so I'll, I'll go on more, but I, um, but I went on a couple of times and yeah, I think that what's great about it is I think it is a really, you know, in a world where social media feels like the least safe place yeah. that you can share anything. Mm. Um, it is a really, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it truly was like a very open and like vulnerable, vulnerable, safe place, which was, you know what, like if, if nothing else, even if people are like, I don't know how to, uh, practice gratitude. I don't know if that's right for me. I think that people should just join it just to just have like a non-judgmental yeah. like group that is available and supports it. It's a super curious space and mm-hmm. um, it is ironic. And we, we made it through 2020 and the election and masks and no masks. <laughs> and we didn't talk very, very, and nobody talked about it in the space. Or if it came up, it was more about the gratitude of it than not. And every now and then someone would say something, but the environment won't even allow for it. So people don't even participate or allow people to yeah, jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> I think I have enough. Two people out in the five years has existed because, and it had nothing to do with politics whatsoever, because people were just not using the space uh, in a safe way. And so I was super proud of that. I was like, well, that's so interesting yeah, that we, awesome. we made it through and people actually, their level of it in, in, in engagement actually went up. And it's an intimate group. Right now it has 16, uh, 1,600 people, but we have like an 80% activity rate in the mm-hmm. group. So people do find it this really neat space to grow and, and, um, it's neat. It's fun. Love it. Um, well, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I I loved having you. I'm sure the listeners were inspired like I was, and maybe they'll start thinking about their purpose. And I love what you said that you don't have to, don't get caught up in finding the perfect word for it. Like it's not, it's not about that. It's really just like it's, what's important to you. It's like the Tao. You actually, by talking about the Tao, Taoism, you're actually not practicing Taoism because the Tao is something that is unspoken, right? And so you might be able to go, I just know, and find the word, find the temporary placeholder, or even, hey, commit to a different word every year. But you'll always, if you're in tune to it, you can be like, I can know when I'm out of line of freedom. I know I can go, oh, this is a moment that doesn't sit right with me. This is incongruent with who I am. And that's okay. So we don't need to, and then, you know, yeah. Okay. Well, what's my next career move and stuff like that. Then find a company that allows you to create freedom for others, find a company, uh, an organization or a non-for-profit that allows you to whatever that, whatever that value that means most to you Mm -hmm. is to, for you to create equality. What are, and then a lot of people, I'd say this happens more often than not. I'd say over 50% of the people I work with go, the company I work for doesn't share my values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> right? that's where the midlife crisis uh, positive change comes in. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I don't even want to call it a midlife. I, yeah. I, I mean, it's, I, I like the, I think one of like my first episodes I talked about, like, you know, midlife crisis just has so much baggage. Like it just, it sounds like I need to go buy a Corvette and like date someone half my age. Like, and it, it really is just, I think crises in itself, you know, 
yes, it has a negative connotation, but crises actually can be a very positive thing. It just means there's like a moment in time in which stuff's getting shaken up. It offers an opportunity for awakening. And if you are not willing to awaken in that, you will date someone half your age and buy a a a Chevy or whatever it was, a Corvette. And and there's nothing wrong with either of those things. I'm not here to judge either of those things. But a lot of times people think that their satisfaction will come from the uh, adrenaline rush of those two things we had mentioned there. Mm -hmm. But if you're always having the, or if you're not having the adrenaline rush, the question is, what's incongruent in my life that's preventing my adrenaline rush? What could I add into my life that would both match my value system and allow the adrenaline rush? And Ali, this is how I, I think, I think you led us to a great point here. I don't think midlife is about creating ourselves at all. I think midlife is about uncreating ourselves and removing who we are not. We just spent 35, 40, 45, 50 years building this calloused external outside to protect us from rejection and lack of approval and making sure we're always in control. I think what a beautiful time we have just enough life experience to go. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me. (sighs) Yeah, absolutely. Good. So thank you. I love it. Um, well, folks, that is all the time that we have today. Huge thanks to our guest, Michael Ian Cedar. If you'd like to join the Gratitude Slam um, and really prime your morning by exercising your mind to focus on what is already available, then visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Gratitude Slam uh, today. So thanks again. And until next time. Thank you. Uh, break. Break.